When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own trip to Texas. Or if you prefer a vacation from your family, you can always get your own leave the kids with grandma trip to Texas. So go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. The Negro Motorist Green Book is actually a byproduct of the Great Migration that occurred from 1910 to 1970. During that period in America's history, over six million African Americans left the South to move north and west for better opportunities in all areas of their lives. Jobs, housing, fairer treatment, a better future for their children. With their new financial status, many found ways to avoid the commonplace indignities of Jim Crow especially on public transportation and in places where they shopped. For many African Americans who traveled back and forth to the same places to visit kinfolk and friends, the need for the Green Book diminished. As it did, fewer and fewer people talked about the publication. As a result, many children and grandchildren of those who participated in the Great Migration may not have been told anything about the actual Green Book although they most certainly would have been told about the times that necessitated its creation. I'm Alvin Hall, your host on Driving the Green Book by Macmillan Podcast. As our producer Janae Woods Weber and I drove from Detroit to New Orleans, we met fascinating people, some only recently familiar with the Green Book. In this episode, we're in Nashville, where we met with young professionals, Anna Nettles and Crystal Churchwell, both in their early 30s. They told us about their first encounter with the Green Book and the extended family history that unspooled as a result. When you first got one in your hand, mm-hmm. Anna, what did you think when you opened it up and started to go through? Well, I first thought the concept was just brilliant. You know, I thought... Well, I mean, tremendous resource. It makes total sense. It made everything else that I knew about how black people traveled. Uh, Just seeing it on the physical page. I love, you know, flipping. Of course, I had to flip to my state first. As we all do. Yes. (laughs) See where they were saying you should go. But um, I I mean, I think it's tremendous. I think it's a history that people need to know more about. Um, I was shocked that I didn't know it, but... uh, Again, you know, the ingenuity of Black people never surprises me. So yes. Very true. It makes sense. And you, when you started to actually, Crystal, dig down into it. It wasn't until I was older do I think I actually was able to put it together and realize that it was it was it, life or death. Um, it truly allowed for Black people to navigate in, through society, through travels, with some dignity. And... I think that it's um, 
is something that is kind of just amazing. And I, I want to see your copy. I didn't even have a copy. Oh, so yeah. That's, oh, that's really, bring I think that's really cool. But yeah, no, I brought, I brought the one that Evelyn gave to me there. But my mom was, because uh, I, I asked her about it. I said, you know, do you ever have a green book? She's like, no, we didn't have a green book. She said, we always knew by word of mouth what the black streets were in every town you were going to. And a lot of the traveling my mom did was, uh, you know, church-related. And um, she said, you know, when you were in Chattanooga, it was 9th Street. When you were in Nashville, it was Jefferson City, mm-hmm. or Jefferson Street. And uh, I think that if you didn't have a physical green book, that it was word of mouth that got around to a lot of people as to what were the safe shops, what were mm-hmm. the safe um, stores you could go to where were the safe areas to be and uh, relied on that. My mom said that my grandfather didn't even trust atlases. (laughs) (laughs) I was not remotely surprised that a young person of her age had not heard of the Green Book. The world that made the Green Book necessary changed as a result of the civil rights movement. The legal restrictions, the overt mistreatment, and the commonplace indignities that necessitated the creation and distribution of the Green Book were legally prohibited for the most part, but sometimes morphed into more subtle versions. The network of shared information remained, even after the publication of the Green Book stopped. The practical knowledge and life-saving insights were shared within communities by action and by word of mouth by daily acts of kindness and resistance. Reminds me of a story my dad told me when he was in college. He went to Vanderbilt and lived, as I mentioned, in um, East Nashville, and he didn't have a car, so he had to take the bus to Vanderbilt. The bus system picked him up in East Nashville and drove him all the way around town to take him through Mead to go down West End to get to um, Vanderbilt, which is a very roundabout route. And I remember when I heard that, I was like, why? He said, well, because they pick up the domestics in East Nashville and drive them all the way through to get to Bellmeet, drop them off for their, um, for their jobs, and then you, you go from Bellmeet to, to Vanderbilt. And it was an intentional bus route for that purpose. Yes. And he said that um, they pick up you know, people along the way from East Nashville along the way, and then by the time you get to Bellmeet, it's just him and, and all, all the ladies on the bus who are going to, going to work in Bellmeet. And, um, you know, little ladies, women who are his mother's age, women who are his grandmother's age, and they would say, oh, baby, hope you do well at Vanderbilt. Every day they say they they give him little um, like cookies and and he said they were so proud of him. And um, he said that it was um, he felt that on his shoulders when he got off the bus at Vanderbilt because of the fact that he knew that all of it is so intertwined in the fact that they saw pride in him and he wasn't even their blood, you know. And so it just the nature of um, how interconnected we are, I think, as a black community and the fact that you know that, again, your space is, is ever moving in terms of being in that dual kind of headspace. That's exactly why they say we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. Right. But what does this all mean? It means that the next generation has freedom, a freedom of thought, of imagination, of relationships. They don't have all of the psychological burdens that their forebears carried and that I carried. I look at the two young women in front of me and I see such possibilities. 
I'm sitting in the presence of confident, smart, beautiful, poised young black women who just a few generations ago would have had to mask or suppress parts of themselves in order to survive. Even someone like Anna Nettles' grandfather, Willie Nettles, might not have thought his grandchildren could have some of the freedoms they enjoy today. While in Nashville, we interviewed someone whose personal and family stories proved to be a microcosm of the broader experience of three generations of African Americans. The Jim Crow generation, the post-Jim Crow generation, and the contemporary generation. We came to Nashville thinking we would learn about the lives of African Americans during and after the period when the Green Book was published. We learned so much more. We met Dr. Evelyn E. Nettles at her office at Tennessee State University, one of the legendary historically black colleges and universities, otherwise known as an HBCU. Dr. Nettles is the Associate Vice President of Academic Affairs. From the moment she walked in the room, I knew, as a person also born and raised in the South, that Dr. Nettles and her brother Michael came from a family of diligent and generous people. It was her smile when she shook our hands as she greeted us. It was her tone of voice and the way she made eye contact. It was the comfort level she instantly created by the natural warmth of her personality. Janae and I were surprised to learn that, like her niece Anna, Dr. Nettles had never heard of the Green Book. I didn't know until I went to the movie. Well, you can always catch that's right. You oh, didn't know about I the Green Book. I didn't know about the Green Book. Because you're a black woman. And in I'm America. a black woman. And I'm an educated black woman <laughs> in America. And I did not know that. And I said, Michael, do you remember Daddy having a Green Book? And he said, no, I don't remember that. It was an eight to ten hour drive between here and Mississippi. And we drove it the whole way. We did not make many stops, yeah. So you did not know about the Green Book until Mm -hmm. you were an adult. What do you think this says about the way Black folks in America learn about our history and pass down our stories? That's an interesting thing. I think people like my dad told us stories, and that's how we learned about some things. So we knew about that. But I think we, in my generation, we lived it. We lived it. And even though you didn't let it paralyze you, because I think the statement that you probably heard as as you were growing up as well, you've got to be twice as good. You've got to be the best. You cannot be lazy. You need to work, and you need to work hard. And, and This ethos is deep in the Nettles family, going all the way back to her grandmother, Essie Nettles, who owned a restaurant in Moss Point, a Gulf town in Mississippi from which the family migrated. When I was a little girl, we lived in Moss Point, Mississippi, and I had a grandmother who was an entrepreneur. She owned a restaurant, 
and my grandfather uh, ran a barbershop, and he also worked for Ingalls Shipyard. The men worked at the shipyard, counted on her to make their lunches for the day, and then they would come back and eat dinner in her place. She was a, she was a marvelous cook. My grandmother and my grandfather did not have any more than a high school education. If she just had had the opportunities, she would have been very, very wealthy. She was wealthy, but not as she could be. Her growth was probably stifled because of her race. But as uh, her place was called Essie's Place, right, they believed in education. And so when my father was growing up, he didn't go to public school in in Mississippi. Um, His grandfather made sure he went to Miss Jones School. And evidently, Miss Jones had been fired from the local public school system because they had insisted on the white superintendent not calling them Negra. And she was fired, and so she opened up her own school, and some people from the community, my dad being one of those people, went to school at Miss Jones School. And then, of course, as he grew older, they sent him to Beatrice, Alabama. There was a a school there that was supposed to be one of the best schools in the country for Negroes, and they really wanted him to uh, have an education. He was their oldest son. Um, he would tell his mother, I don't know why you have me down here, but I am hungry. They don't have enough food, right? So <laughs> he learned this uh, sometime later as a woman was doing a book about Pineywood, that his mother had bought uh, cows for the school. He, he knew they started having meat, but he didn't know where it came from. And his mother was buying the cows for the school. Essie is an example of how Black women have always been business leaders and entrepreneurs. Historically, they have excelled at identifying needs and filling them. Most impressively, Essie turned her economic power in Moss Point into political clout when it was most needed. Did your father ever share stories with you about what it was like to grow up and be a young man and then an adult during Jim Crow? Mm Mm-hmm. Did uh, one story that we found amusing about a sh- a sheriff named I want to say August Campbell in in Moss Point and his son uh, had sent away and bought a uniform uh, a sheriff's uniform and even though he wasn't uh, a sheriff he would antagonize the black people on the weekend on Sunday and what he would do is go and pick up his girlfriend in a car. And his girlfriend, he would have black people, men, dancing for her, tap dancing for her. And he would be in his sheriff's uniform, right? Like a minstrel show? Yeah, like a minstrel show. And he said that one Sunday, he got the wrong fella. And that fella beat him good and made him take his uniform off. Yes. And, of course, they, uh, that fella had to get out of town. And they really, the black people were really scared. And that's, my grandmother, people came to her and said, Miss Essie, we're really concerned because of what has happened here. They may start lynching people. And she went to the mayor and he said, no, not because she had worked for the mayor. She had worked in his kitchen. And uh, he said, no, it'll be okay, Essie. You don't have to worry about anything. 
As we spoke to Dr. Nettles, I could see in the way she engaged with us that her people, her family, friends, close relatives, and those with whom she surrounded herself were full of thoughtfulness, generosity, humor, and genuine love for each other. These values were widespread throughout communities where families like the Nettles lived. These people, with drive, vision, and wherewithal of all types, created businesses to serve American travelers when white-owned businesses largely refused. These enterprises included hotels, beauty shops, restaurants, savings and loans, tourist houses, taxi companies, nightclubs, drugstores, and more. After the break, we'll hear about how Nashville has changed over the decades and how urban renewal has impacted the black businesses and residents on Jefferson Street. When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own... ...trip to Texas... Or if you prefer a vacation from your family, you can always get your own leave the kids with grandma Yay! trip to Texas. So go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. What makes the Carnival Cruise fun? That's up to you. Maybe it's a ride on boat, a roller coaster at sea, or a deep tissue massage at the spa. Creole-inspired cuisine at Emerald's Bistro to laid-back bites at Guy's Burger Joint, excursions that take you from jungle adventures to beach days at Mahogany Bay, and sunsets from the top deck. Long story short, no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival. Choose fun. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. While in Nashville, we also met Tennessee State University professor LaRotha Williams, who is in his early 50s. He teaches African-American history and has a special interest in Nashville. He suggested we meet on the campus of Fisk University because, as a historian, he wanted to start our tour near the heart of the black business area. As you get closer to the campus, the area slowly starts to change from one block to the next. The curious thing about Nashville is this is where the center begins to shift because it was a couple of blocks this way on Charlotte, but then it begins to move here. Mm -hmm. So that might where you see some, you might would be the point where you see some stuff fall between the cracks, I think. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some listings and as I went through, I, I was like, wow, that's, that's all? Because I know that as the entertainment spot in Nashville, a place mm -hmm. where black performers could come yes. and, and stay and not have to worry about being Jim Crow, was right here on this street. Mm -hmm. on, 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 on Jefferson, on Jefferson. What was the street like in those days? Was it full of activity at night? Was it busy on weekends? This was the place to be seen. You had an outfit you wanted to show out, You'd come to Jefferson Street. The nightclubs was there. You could go right down the street and see 
Little Richard perform. And while you're listening to Little Richard, you look mm -hmm. around, you might see Jackie Robinson or Joe Lewis yeah. in the spot. This street serviced these three universities, and in doing so, it, it created a really intimate relationship between these universities and the community. The three universities Professor Williams is referring to are Meharry Medical College, which is blocks away from both Fisk and Tennessee State. In any black community in the U.S., if you said you went to Fisk, Tennessee State, or Meharry, it was an indicator of black excellence. Even with their collective accomplishments, professional black people were excluded by the city from public services and from political processes that deeply impacted them. If the Jefferson Street area was populated with a thriving business district and prestigious colleges, why did the area have to undergo urban renewal? Why were new roads built through the community that cut off and starved those black businesses? To stop black dollars from staying in black communities. It displaces... More than a thousand homes, 800 businesses are removed. And you know, it's a, you hear them talk about urban renewal. So I was like, okay, mm -hmm. well, let's see if they're removing poor folks. Yeah. All of the folks along 12th Avenue North, and I encourage y'all to drive down 12th Avenue North. On one side of the street, you still got houses, but on the other side, you have the interstate. So what I and my students did, we said, okay, well, let's look at home ownership mm -hmm. along that strip. And the vast majority of those folks, at least along those first couple of blocks of it, were homeowners. Same thing down there at 28th. Okay. In the face of this discrimination, people needed to understand their economic power. Parents, like Dr. Nettle's father, modeled for their children what it looked like to exercise that power, how people could rally or organize to fight back against discrimination. And when I was little, when the stores boycotted, uh, we, when black people boycotted all the downtown stores, we used to go to Harvey's Casternauts and Kane Sloan when I was there. Those were mm -hmm. big department stores. But even during the Christmas season and you knew you wanted something from one of those stores. My daddy wouldn't let us shop in the stores downtown if we were boycotting the stores. We could not go there. So I understand walking with your purse and walking and not participating in any uh, giving my money to people who don't have my best interest at heart. Dr. Nettle's father knew how to use his family's economic power to benefit his community. He was the same person who would make sure his family's hard-earned money would not be spent in white businesses that treated black people badly. He also used this money to support civil rights marches in his city. And I can remember when we were little, that's when the civil rights marches came through. Now the marchers came through Nashville. They were based in Centennial Park. And we had to look at all of that on television. Daddy wouldn't let us go out, but he went out and he went. And they would bring food to the marchers over in Centennial Park so that they would have food uh, as they marched on. At the end of our conversation, we asked Dr. Nettles for restaurant suggestions. 
We want to keep our dollar circulating in the black community. That's a very good idea. Thank you. That's good. And then there's one restaurant on Jefferson Street. It's called. She recommended Kingdom Cafe and Grill on Jefferson Street. They employ people who have recently been released from prison and are teaching them cooking and the business of running a restaurant. As we walked into what looked and felt like a jazz club, on one side was a long line of steam tables holding an array of delicious soul food. Janae and I decided to honor our foregone travelers by recreating one of the signature road trip meals mothers would pack for their journey, fried chicken and cornbread. The whole experience, to me, felt like Sunday dinner at a Baptist church, where the love and spirit of generosity feed the soul. Both Janae and I got chills during our conversations in Nashville, because one of the things we kept realizing is the entrepreneurship among black women during this time. That's something that is largely unreported and unrecognized. You have Miss Essie. You have Miss Jones, people who, in the face of adversity, cooked and created schools to help black people, their own people, reach higher and achieve more. So I want to end this episode by honoring some of the other women whose businesses were included in the Green Book. Businesses like tourist homes, restaurants, beauty salons, and more. Most importantly, these and many other women were prime creators of the network of safety and home comforts for black travelers like us. Mrs. Rose Allen, Mrs. India Herndon, Faustina Wilson, Mrs. Maddie Heron, Mrs. Louise Pitts, Mrs. Clara Oliver, Mrs. Gustava Anderson, Ida Thurman, Mrs. Margaret Wright, Mrs. Allie O'King, Ida Miller, Mrs. Edith Wilkins, Mrs. Lessie Bennett, Mrs. Clara Eubanks, Mrs. Melanie B. Wilson. That's all for this episode of Driving the Green Book. When we come back next week, we learn from our elders about how they safely navigated tense, frightening, and humiliating situations and what we can learn from them to move forward to a more just future. Special thanks to Crystal Churchwell, Anna Nettles, Dr. Evelyn E. Nettles, Professor LaRotha Williams, and the folks at the Kingdom Cafe and Grill, especially Jalila Hawk. Driving the Green Book is a production of Macmillan Podcasts. It is created, narrated, and produced by Alvin Hall and edited by Juleka Lantigua-Williams. Sound design and original theme song by Cedric Wilson at Lantigua-Williams & Co. Field production by Oluwakemi Aladesui. Janae Woods-Weber is the associate producer with additional production support by Jasmine Faustino, Michelle Margulis, Morgan Ratner, Emily Miller, and Becky Celestina. Kathy Doyle is the Macmillan Podcast's Vice President. Subscribe to Driving the Green Book on Apple Podcasts. While you're listening, you can also explore the road trip locations behind the show using our custom Apple Maps guide. Find a link to this experience, curated music playlists, details about my upcoming book, and more at drivingthegreenbook.com. 
If you'd like to share your own stories about the Green Book with us, email us at greenbook at macmillan.com. We would love to hear from you. Safe travels. When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own... trip to Texas. Or if you prefer a vacation from your family, you can always get your own leave the kids with grandma. Yay! Trip to Texas. So go to traveltexas.com/get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours.